Today's reading comes from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you're seated, um, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we come to you um, this morning as your children. We come full of gratitude and praise and adoration uh, that you would save us through Jesus. You would give us your Holy Spirit. Father, would you meet us today? Would you work powerfully to start to provoke us in regard to prayer. Lord, to call us deeper into relationship with you through prayer. God, we want to be changed, be more like Christ. We want our lives to matter eternally. And we know that you have sovereignly appointed prayer as part of that uh, means that that would happen. And we just ask that you would uh, be pleased to, to speak to us and to change us now. Help me uh, in my weakness um, and uh, cause your word to bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all of you guys. Uh, happy New Decade. It's a, kind of a fun experience. Um, I don't know if you've been doing the, the social media thing that's been popular right now, talking about the last decade and thinking about what's happened in the last 10 years. Um, but I was talking to Heather about that this last week, and as I reflected on this past decade, I realized that Basically, every significant adult decision that I have made has happened in the last 10 years. And that might say, you know, to some of you that are more senior than myself, that might just speak to my, my tender years. Um, but it was pretty significant for me looking at those decisions and thinking, man, some of those decisions, some of them, they've been amazing. Some have been amazing decisions. Uh, the way that God led me to marry my wife. Uh, the way that he's blessed us with children, um, the way, honestly, that, that I get to be part of this church, Christ City Church, that he's led us here. These are, these are awesome decisions that have happened in the last 10 years. But then as I thought a bit more, I also realized there's been some pretty mediocre decisions too. You know, and there's actually been some just flat out bad ones that I have a lot of regret over. And uh, I've been thinking about those as well. And as I was reflecting on this past decade, though, it did give me the opportunity to think and to imagine what it would be like not looking back just on this past decade, but looking back on my life. Looking back on my life from the vantage point of eternity. What's that going to be like? I want, to, I want to actually invite you into that with me. Imagine that with me this morning. Imagine that you and I and the people in this room around you that we're, we're standing at the end of the age. And Jesus is with us. Our King has come. He's going to make all things new. From, from that point in time, when you look back on 2020, what do you think will matter most about 2020? 
What's going to matter most about today and this next year from the vantage point, not just of a decade, but of eternity? You know, when I'm thinking about that, I've been thinking about that this week, one thing keeps standing out to me, and it's prayer. Prayer is going to matter. Prayer is going to matter because everything that will be of eternal value, everything that will matter when I'm standing next to Jesus with you, and we're looking at 2020, everything that will matter this year will only be accomplished because God was pleased to work powerfully by his spirit through our prayers. That's what's going to matter this year. Our prayers are essential for us to abide deeply with God and bear fruit that will last forever. Jesus says, after all, in John 15, verse 5, he says, Whoever abides in me, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we look at the new year, as we look at it today, I want to consider, I want to consider one of the most important ways that we abide richly with Jesus and bear fruit that will last. I want to look with you at prayer. I want to think with you about prayer. So we're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18, the passage that was just read. We're going to consider prayer. And we're going to look at the way that James speaks pastorally to the people he's writing to and also to us. And we're going to look at the way that he exhorts them and us to a greater life of prayer. And he's going to instruct us when to pray, how to pray, and what to expect when we pray. He's going to instruct us when to pray, how to pray, and what to expect when we pray. So we're going to jump in right away, look at our first point, when to pray. So look again at the word of God with me that James speaks to us by the Holy Spirit. James 5, 13 to 15 say this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So notice first in this passage, there's a lot here, but there's really only one singular command. There's one thing that James is telling us. You see what that is? It's this, it's pray. He's telling us to pray. When should we pray? Well, James actually, he gives us three different circumstances, three different situations in life that cover all of life in which we are to pray. He says, pray when you're suffering. He says, pray when you're cheerful. And he says, pray when you're sick. Pray always. The old preaching joke was there's two times to preach, in season and out of season. You know, it covers like everything. It's the same with prayer. There's three times to pray and it covers everything. It covers all of our lives together. And he speaks to us in whatever situation we're in. And he calls us to pray. He does that because James knows that the most essential thing for you and me in every moment of our lives is that we would walk closely with our God in prayer. Christ City, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to grow in prayer. I want you to hear James' words again, but I want, I want you to hear them as if he's speaking them directly to you. I want you to hear them with all of their pastoral concern aimed at your heart, 
with all of the burdens that you're experiencing or the joy that you're experiencing or the suffering that you're experiencing today, hear James' words to you. Christ City, is anyone here suffering? Are you suffering? Then the Holy Spirit through James, he says this to you. Just pray. Just call out to the Lord in your suffering. Know that the God of the universe loves you and he hears you. Know that he has said that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you in Jesus Christ. Know that he's a good father. And call out to him in prayer. Draw near to him through prayer. Christ City, is anyone here cheerful? Things are going well. And you just you feel it. You're full of joy at the beginning of a new year. If that's you, then James says to you, let him sing praise. And before you get all upset that, that I'm like foisting something that James isn't saying, like, Brandon, he's talking about singing and you say it's about praying. What, you know, what's going on here? What is singing praise if it's not prayer? Singing praise is, is just directing your heart in adoration to God and thanksgiving and in worship and melody. Worship music is just prayer set to melody. Singing praise to God, it's prayer. And James says to us, he says, if you are cheerful, if things are going well, then the most important thing for you to do right now is that your life would be oriented around God, around his eternal purposes, that you would bear fruit that would last for all of eternity, is to pray, is to sing praise, is to rejoice in who God is, is to thank him. Turn your attention to him in adoration and worship. But James continues, and he says to us, Christ City, is anyone among you sick? I want to look at verses 14 to 15 again with you. Are you sick? James says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Christ City, are, are you sick? Is there something going on in your physical body that's burdening you? James speaks to you and he says, you need to pray. Call us, call the elders of the church. We'd love to pray for you in this way. To pray for your healing. To anoint you with oil and to ask that God would heal you. These verses, verses 14 to 15 in this passage in James, they're actually one of the most important passages on healing and prayer in the New Testament. And unfortunately, because we're going to try and cover the whole passage, we can't dive down really deep here. I'd love to. We're not going to answer all the questions. If you have questions after this message is over, please email me or Jonathan or, um, and ask, uh, or ask after the gathering if you have any particular questions. But I want to say this about it. I do want to say this. We'll unpack it a little bit. We need to realize that James in this passage, that he's not giving a magic formula to heal everyone in every situation in the church. That's not what he's doing. If that were the case, then we'd see, I think, an awful lot more radical healings. That's not the case. We know that, that Jesus is going to return one day at the end and all will be made new and sickness and death will be gone forever. We know that. We trust that. But James is talking about something important. He's talking about intentional and focused prayer that God has been pleased to use often throughout the history of the church to actually physically heal people. He chooses to do it. 
in his sovereignty and in his grace. Uh, many people in this room uh, know friends or, or maybe have experienced themselves. I know, I know people personally who have been healed as they've been prayed for and cared for, as the Holy Spirit has worked to bring healing to them. And James says, okay, this is, this is prayer. This is an intentional, focused prayer. And he says to call the elders to pray for you for a reason. The reason he says to call for the elders to pray for you is that the elders, James knows, are the certain leaders in the church that God has appointed that have a special role and responsibility in caring for you. And James says, when things get desperate, call those guys. In this church, that's Jonathan, that's myself, that's Fred. At this point, we have three elders here. And we'd love to be called by you to come and to pray for you in this way. And James speaks about anointing with oil because when someone is anointed with oil in the Bible, it's a way of showing that that, that person has been entrusted to God in a special way. It's showing that, that we are entrusting, we are consecrating this person to the Lord, entrusting them to their care, to his purposes. We're setting them apart for the Lord as we seek his will and seek healing from the Lord for that person. I want to say this, Christ City, we actually do this here. You might not know that, but we do that here. We'd love to pray for you in this way if you are sick. But though we will pray in faith for your healing, you need to understand something. Our faith isn't merely in healing. We don't worship healing. We worship Jesus. We worship Jesus. And our ultimate hope in the gospel is that we trust a Savior, Jesus Christ, who promises to return and to raise the dead. Who promises to return and to end every sickness and disease. Even... Even though today, for reasons that we don't always understand, he may not choose to heal someone that we are praying for. We trust him. We trust him. We entrust ourselves to him and we pray in faith for their healing. So there's three situations that James has given us here already in these verses. And I think the big picture of what James is saying in verses 13 to 15, I think the big picture is clear. I think it's apparent for us. The big picture is this. James is saying, in all of life's situations, in everything that's going on, one thing matters most. Pray. Pray. Come to the Lord in prayer. And James, through the Holy Spirit, I think he has an insight into our hearts, doesn't he? He knows how weak we are. He knows how I struggle. I know you struggle to pray. He knows how discouraged we get. He knows that in all of these situations, we need an encouragement from the Bible, from the word of God into our hearts to actually pray. Because he knows that when we're sick, we can become embittered, even angry towards God. We want to be encouraged to pray. He knows that when we're suffering, we can do this introspective thing that takes our eyes and, and just fixates them on ourselves in more and more deep and, and selfish ways. And James calls us out of that. He says, come out of that. Set your eyes on the Lord. Pray to him. And he knows that when things are going well, we get distracted. When things are going well, man, it's like it's all sunshine and fun. And we forget to pray. So James speaks to us and he encourages us, pray. And he puts all this confidence in prayer because James knows what prayer is. He knows what it is. He knows that it's learning to live not in a theoretical and intellectualized life as a Christian. 
He knows that that's not what it is. It's something far more. James knows that, that prayer is this beautiful thing that shows the way that, that we, as Christians, are children who live in a relationship with the loving God of the universe. James knows that we are the children of God, that he loves us, and that he cares for us. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I'll be honest, I'm just like you. I wish I could say that I'm speaking this message from a place of, of being on the mountaintop. You know, like, man, I, I've just got this great prayer life. And let me educate you all. That's not what's happening this morning. I'm speaking to you as somebody that struggles to pray as I should. I'm speaking to you as somebody that, that does what you do. It gets up in the morning and endeavors to pray. And then all of a sudden that thing pops in your mind. You're like, well, I, I probably should look that up on Google. And then you go and satisfy your curiosity, and then one thing leads to another. And before you know it, you've forgotten that you were praying. That's, that's me. I struggle with that. And James calls us out of that. James calls us out of that because he knows that, that to forget to pray, to, to not labor in prayer, that it's crazy. That it's foolish. It's crazy and it's foolish for this reason. It's crazy and it's foolish because the God who sustains the place of every atom in this universe, he said to you, he said to us as a church, he said, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He knows it's crazy because the God who has been moving all of human history towards his desired end, he says to us, I'm a good father and I love to give my children good gifts. I love it when they ask me. I love to meet their needs. Won't you come to me? In his love and his grace, God, he has made himself available to you and I. That's what prayer is. That's what prayer is. We're his children and he welcomes us in. In a family relationship, isn't it true that, that kids have this kind of wild access to their parents that breaks all of the normal human social boundaries, Right? I've been reflecting on this this week. Somehow my kids get into my bed every night, right? My kids go places that you and I dare not to tread in relationships. I sure hope you dare not to tread by, by showing. If you were next to me in my bed when I woke up in the morning, that'd, be not, that'd not be cool. <clears throat> I would not be pleased with that. But my kids, I welcome in. My kids, I welcome in. My kids have a special relationship with me. They cry, help me, basically whenever they feel the need. And it doesn't matter how awkward the situation is that I'm currently in. And though God is all-powerful, though, though he's the God that sustains the atoms in this universe, upholds everything by the word of his power, though he's pure and holy and righteous and good in every way that we are not, he gives us that kind of access to himself. He welcomes us in as his children. God bends his knees to us in his grace and he allows us, you and I, to come to him. Even though you and I are super messed up kids, he welcomes us in. Even though you and I are sinful, and he is not. Even though you and I wrestle with unbelief. Maybe this week you're, you're wrestling with unbelief in something. Even though we doubt. Even though we're full of shame and sorrow. Even though we failed. And we've rejected it. Maybe we've even hated God yesterday or today. Through Jesus, 
this God forgives us. Through Jesus, this God loves us. He says, you are my child. Come to me. I love you. There's more even than this, because this prayer is this, this incredible, incredible thing. And James knows that Romans 8.26 says that in our need, in our need, God's own spirit prays for us when we can't find the words. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God's spirit himself intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. When you're struggling and you don't know what to say, God says, no, no, it's, it's okay. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. When you're so full of joy that you can't express your worship adequately and, and you just know it, like, God, I don't even have the words to praise you enough. The spirit helps. The spirit intercedes for you. And praise what you don't know how. When you're so burdened that you don't know what to ask for, the, the weight of the situation is so heavy, you're just overwhelmed. It's just too much. The Spirit intercedes for you. The Spirit intercedes and prays for you. When all you can do, when all you can do in your suffering is weep, and you've fallen on your face before God and you just cry, the Spirit intercedes for you. The Spirit brings you into the presence of the Father who loves you and who cares for you. God hears us. Through Jesus and His Spirit, God has literally made every effort available to bring us into His presence and to hear us. He's opened His heart to us. He said, draw near to me, I love you. Do you believe that? I don't think you do. Because if you did, I think you'd pray differently. I know that I struggle with this. I don't think that I, practically speaking, believe this as I should. I have a long ways to grow. Because I think if we believe what James believes about prayer, I think our prayer lives would look a lot different. I think we would be seeking the Lord in, in prayer in a way that we're not. God is calling us into something incredibly, and James, James urges us to pray because he gets it. He knows what it is, and he calls us into it. But you know something? It's impossible to draw near to God and not be changed by him in the process. And that's why James instructs us how to pray. He focuses on the way that prayer is an opportunity for us to grow in righteousness as we confess our sins. So not just when to pray, but how to pray. It's an opportunity for us to grow in righteousness as we confess our sins. So look at our second point and the last, uh, the end of verse 15 and then into verse 16. James says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And there's a beautiful twofold encouragement here. 
We've just been reading about the way that when we come to God in faith and in prayer, that he's a God who, who often offers to, to heal us, who offers us that kind of power and that kind of grace. But now as we enter into verse 15, we see that he is also a God who forgives our sin. And if he has committed sins, James writes, he will be forgiven. See, when we come to God in prayer and we trust that Jesus has offered himself up to God in our place, God, he does something incredible. He, he confirms his forgiveness for us through his son, Jesus Christ. He speaks that forgiveness to us, to our hearts. He applies it to our hearts to help us to know the truth of his gospel. When we come to God in prayer through his word, God says to us, and maybe you need to hear this this morning. I need to hear that this morning. God says to us, for I will be merciful toward your iniquities. I will remember your sins no more from Hebrews 8 verse 12. He speaks to to you and to I the words of Psalm 103 verse 12, which say this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does our God remove our transgressions from us. And he confirms that word to our hearts as we come to him and seek him in prayer. This is the good news of the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus has done what you and I never could. That he forgives us, makes us righteous, takes the place of the punishment that we deserve, and brings us into God's presence. He's done it when we can't. This week, I don't know about you, but this week I've needed to hear that. This week, I've done the thing that maybe we all do at different times. I've lived in self-condemnation. This week, I know the ways that I failed as a husband. I know the ways that I failed as a pastor. I know the ways that I failed as a friend, as a father. And man, when I I know I failed, my temptation is to live in condemnation. Isn't yours? To just feel the weight of your failure. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that though, though I kind of expect him to, God doesn't offer me a karmic relationship with himself. He doesn't, he doesn't ask me to, to tally up all the good works that I've done. And then when, the, when they're sufficiently high and, and good, then to dispense his grace and his kindness towards me in Jesus. He doesn't do that. God offers me his grace and his love and his goodness based on what Jesus Christ alone has done that I could never do. And he welcomes me in. And he speaks a word of grace to me as I seek him in prayer. He says, Brant, I forgive you. Trust in Jesus. Trust in my son. Come to me, trusting in him. We have this incredible truth of God's forgiveness, and James makes a point about it. And then the following verse, in verse 16, he says this. He follows it up with something. Therefore, in light of that forgiveness, in light of that grace and that kindness from God, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James is saying, therefore, therefore, because of what came before, because of the grace of God and the forgiveness that he offers sinners like us, because of that, take the opportunity. Confess your sin. Because of that, James calls us into personal renewal in our prayer life through confessing our sins, not just to God, but also to one another. There's an opportunity here, I think, to to put sin to death. As we come into relationship with God, to be changed by him through the power of his Holy Spirit, as he convicts our hearts of the sin that's there, he says, do you want to repent of it? I'll receive you if you do. Repent of this sin. Come to me. James calls us into that. And there's a reason that James says we should confess. It's even more than this. Because James says in verse 16 this, 
Confess your sins so that you may be healed. Do you see that? It's a challenging verse. That's a really challenging verse. You see, though you and I, I don't think you and I should ever walk around looking at sickness around us and saying, hey, look, that person sinned. That's why that sickness happened. That's not a biblical way of looking at sin. That's not a biblical way of looking at sickness. God doesn't do that. God doesn't see you sin and then curse you with the disease six months later. That's not how God operates. But even though we shouldn't do that, even though the Bible speaks pretty directly about not doing that, James does make a connection. James does connect sin and the effectiveness of our prayer. It's what this verse says. Look at verse 16 again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Then he goes on. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And it's the prayer of anybody. It's the prayer of a righteous person that has great power as it is working. Let that sink in. This means that holding on to sin in our lives, that it will negatively affect our prayers. It's going to negatively affect our prayers because it's going to negatively affect our relationship with Jesus as we hold on to sin and rebellion towards him. Jesus once said to his disciples, he said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Matthew 6, 24. See, what Jesus is saying here is that God wants all of your heart. He wants all of you. God knows that that when you hold out on him and try to serve two masters, it's not going to work well. You're going to end up hating one of them. And if you're loving something else other than Jesus, you're going to end up hating Jesus and not loving him. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God wants all of you. Once a hundred percent of you think of it this way in, in a relationship with someone, imagine you're in a romantic relationship. Maybe you are. And if you're not, imagine that you are. And imagine that person that you're in a relationship with. Imagine they said to you, Hey, you know, I'm going to hold out just a uh, 20% on this relationship. I'll give you 80%, but I'm going to choose 20% to, to use over here at my discretion and to, to give to someone else. Would that build your relationship? Would that strengthen your relationship and your intimacy together? If you were the kind of person that were like, oh yeah, that's totally fine, no problem. Would you even really truly love the person that you were saying that's okay to? No, real relationships are relationships of committed, committed and deep love. God wants 100% of us. And holding on to sin in our lives, refusing to submit to God somewhere in our lives, turning away from God and pursuing something else more than him in our lives, that's sin. That's what the Bible calls it. And the Bible says that sin will hurt us and it will hurt or maybe even destroy our relationship with God and it may render our prayers futile. God wants 100% of us. James says in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So what's James saying then? Is he saying that you have to be perfect? Is that what he's saying in this verse? Is that what a righteous person is? 
That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, I want a perfect person. He doesn't say that at all. No, the righteous person that James is talking about is the person that turns away from their sin. It's the person that when, when that sin comes, when that Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, that we repent of it. We say, God, help me to turn away from this. I'm turning away from it. Let me leave that behind and pursue you instead. The righteous person is a person who turns their back on sin so they can turn their face toward Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm trusting you again. It feels like the thousandth time today, but today I'm trusting you again and you alone that you can save me, that your righteousness can cover me. The righteous person is a person that makes a practice of repenting of sin and confessing it and turning in faith towards Jesus. To that person, James says, James says, this prayer is powerful. This one's prayer is effective when it's working. I think, I think James is speaking to us, Christ City. I, I want to I share this with you this morning. This passage is an opportunity for us to reflect on our lives and to repent. It's an, it's an opportunity for us to, to look and to examine at the beginning of a new year. What's going to be of eternal value in 2020? I want that. Lord, show me my sin. Give me the courage to bring it out into the open so it dies. Help me to confess it. I want to have a deeper walk with you, Lord. James is inviting you into that today. To confess your sin. To trust in Jesus again. And to grow in your relationship with God. Will you listen to him? What's the Holy Spirit asking you to repent of right now? What's the Holy Spirit asking you to confess? What's the Holy Spirit asking you to bring out into the open what you have hid in the dark for a long time? What's absorbing your time and energy and pulling your heart away from Jesus? Could it be that God's asking you to repent of something right now? Could it be that he's calling you into a deeper life of prayer and confession and intimacy with him in 2020? Could it be that he has far more in store for you than you could possibly ask or imagine? He does. He has more for you, not less. He's a generous God who loves his children and loves to give them good gifts. James says the prayer of the righteous person that it's powerful and effective. And he says that as we walk intimately with God in our lives, we should expect that he will work powerfully in us to cause us to bear fruit in our lives that will last forever. Look at our last point, what to expect when we pray in verses 16 to 18. James writes to us and he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Look at this passage and Elijah seems to come out of nowhere. Uh, but who is Elijah? We need to answer that question. Well, Elijah was one of the most remarkable persons in the Old Testament, one of the most remarkable prophets in the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible uh, and then the large book. That's who Elijah is. He, if you think of like the A team of the prophets of God, Elijah was on it. He was captain of that team. He's this remarkable person. He did incredible miracles as he prayed and as he trusted in God. 
And the shocking point in these verses, I think especially for the people that James is writing to, especially for people that know who Elijah is, the shocking point is that, is that James brings Elijah, he brings him down off of his pedestal. And he says, guys, Elijah's just like us. Is Elijah's just like us. James demystifies Elijah and he tells us, his Elijah was a regular, he's a regular guy. He confessed sin, he trusted in God and he prayed and God did incredible things through him. And God will do incredible things through us too. That's what James is saying. God is pleased to work powerfully through us and the way that he worked powerfully through Elijah. God wants us, or James wants us to understand that, that when we confess sin and turn toward God in faith, that our prayers are effective. They're, they're not just mindless chattering up at the sky. That, that a God who is powerful and who works wonders and miracles, that he hears those prayers. That he loves to answer them. That your prayers are powerful. James wants you to know that. Your prayers are powerful and effective. But maybe not in the way that you expect. You see, James is certainly not teaching us that if we just get a formula of some kind right, that all the great things that, that we want in our lives are going to happen. He's not giving us a formula for prosperity. He's not saying, look, you say the right thing, God's going to give you a big house. <laughs> you say the right thing, God's going to give you the car that you want. You do it in the right order and God's going to give you great health. That's not what James is saying. If that was what James was saying, it'd be really weird. It would seem that the Western world, the wealthy, prosperous West was the only place in the world where God answered prayer and that he seemed to turn his back on poorer places in the world. It's not what James is saying. This is not a formula for prosperity. James is showing us that prayer is a means of God's power to work in us according to his not our purposes. That it's a, a formula for God working in our life according to, to his most lofty and his greatest intentions for humanity. Prayer is the way that we participate with God and what he has in mind. And what he has planned, I promise you, is better than what you have planned. How could a bigger house, a better car, or more money compare at the end of the age when we stand there and look back on 2020 with Jesus' church growing and maturing and looking more like Jesus? How could even better health, how could that even compare with Jesus' people growing in faithfulness to him in Vancouver? How could any of these compare with Jesus exalted and worshipped and loved by more and more people in this world as they adore him and find life in him? And the incredible thing is that as we pray, as we learn to pray more as James is talking about, as we learn to pray more biblically, something happens to us. We find that, that our prayers start to change. That the things that we pray for begin to shift. We find that my desire and your desire starts to, to merge upward and be elevated and to come into alignment with the desire and the purpose and the will of God. His will is better than ours. We start to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your kingdom come, not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. We begin to pray more confidently than ever before, but we pray differently than we used to. 
We don't merely ask for changed circumstances, but we also ask for help to serve Christ, to love the Father, to be loyal to him in every circumstance that he chooses to sovereignly give us. We don't just ask for bigger paychecks as much as we ask for God to meet our needs and to give us hearts that are actually generous. God, would you make my heart generous? Would you make me love other people more than I love myself? I think we start thinking about improving our circumstances a little less. I think we labor a little bit more in prayer for the salvation of our loved ones, for the salvation of our neighbors. God, would you save them? God, I've been, I've been having my neighbor over and I, I see the brokenness in their life. Would you show them Jesus? Would you work powerfully in your Holy Spirit to draw them to Christ? We don't ask merely for the end of suffering, but also for the faith and the trust to endure and to faithfully point to Jesus as his witnesses in hardship. God, would you make me faithful? I want to be someone in this situation that you brought to me. I want to be someone who, who faithfully holds fast to Jesus, who bears witness to who Jesus is, that his strength and his glory would shine through my suffering. Father, would you make that happen? We pray that God would protect us from temptations and from evil. We pray that we would not compromise his gospel in any way. We pray that we would live rich and deep lives of faith as his witnesses in Vancouver. You see, the more that we grow in intimacy with, the, with God, the more we pray like God himself would pray if he were where we are today. We see things as God sees them. We seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and everything falls into perspective. And as that happens, we can be confident that God both hears and delights to answer our prayers with power. We're asking for what he already wants and he delights to give it. We should pray expecting God to do great things, greater things even than he did for Elijah. So how's your prayer life? Honestly, how's your prayer life? Do you think God's calling you into a deeper prayer life this year? He's calling me into one. I know he is. I know he's calling you into one too. Here's a secret because I know what the Bible says. Because <laughs> I know the Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then the part that I didn't include in the slide and I should have is this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And if you didn't notice already, those three things are all prayer. All those things are prayer. It's not just the middle one that's prayer. Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in all circumstances. That's all prayer. And Paul says, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That you would pray. As we think about this next year as a church, I think there's little else that we should be more excited about than prayer. There should be little else that we're more excited about pursuing and, and asking God to change in us than prayer. If we desire that, that this neighborhood be changed, if we desire that God's glory would shine forth from Christ City Church, we need to pray. We need to ask that he would do something incredible that we can't ask or imagine. 
something beyond our wildest expectations. God, would you do that? When we pray that way, he'll meet us. It's true both biblically, it's true historically. Historically, numbers of people have looked at the way that that the radical movements of God and the history of the church have come about as God's people have got on their knees and asked God to do what they can't. As they've cried out to him in prayer, God, would you save people for your glory? God, would you cause Jesus to be exalted? God, would you mature your church? Let's pray for that. You know, this is our week of fasting and prayer, and I want to just take this opportunity to invite you into it again. Would you start to be thinking today and this afternoon how you can participate this next week and how you can be praying for the life of the church, how you can be praying that God would work powerfully in 2020 to lift up Jesus high. I want, I want to do that with you. I want to be part of a praying church that loves and anticipates the way that God will answer us. So a few things I want to remind you of in that light. Wednesday, 7 to 9. Please be there. Tuesday, Tuesday at 7 p.m. We're starting up again at Pallet Coffee. The 7 a.m.? 7 a.m., thank you. Pallet Coffee, 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 man. Coffee uh, at the corner of Maple and Broadway. We'll be there at 7 a.m. We'll be praying. Would you join us? We'd love to have you join us. What does God have in store for us in 2020? I promise it's more than we ask or imagine as we commit ourselves to him in prayer.